Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, we have a second handout tonight, so if you were, it's your first night, you want to pick up handout number one, but if this is your second night, pick up handout number two here to go with. We're going to be looking at Revelation 4 and 5. We'll see how far we get tonight. Um, just a couple of things. There's a handout uh, clipboard going around on either side. If you're able to join us for Saturday church work day, we'll have breakfast at 8 a.m. in the admin building and then noontime, um, bring your tools, clean up. We got work inside, outside. So, and appreciate Terry and Jan, but I think we've sold out again. You don't, they're gone. So we'll try to get some more, but, uh, if you have not been able to pick this up, you can get them on Amazon too, but the uh, Revelation Unveiled has been, it's just a great study. I've been spending hours and hours kind of looking at that. I'm going to take the next two Sundays to kind of set you up. If you take the book of Daniel and lay it side by side with Revelation, um, I'm going to spend the next two Sundays going through the book of Daniel. Getting zapped right now, so I, I don't know what that's all about, Lord. I, I guess you like it, <laughs> but... Um, uh, it is uh, incredible. I've studied Daniel many times, but the the revelation that came off of Daniel's uh, encounter with the with the angel Gabriel is uh, pretty phenomenal. Well, we've studied Revelation one, two, and three. I want to just take a moment and uh, is there something out of those first three chapters that has really you know like <clears throat> wow, what was that about, or something in Revelation that hits you that We'll just take about maybe four or five of you and just share. What is it that's come out of those three chapters that has kind of been an amazing input or insight for you? Anybody want to share? I thought the way you had made charts showing the different churches and the different uh, purposes and the, the condemnations of those that we need, that was really spelled it out for me, you know? And to know that we're probably in the last one, <laughs> The lukewarm. Anyway, we're not lukewarm, right? But th there, there is a danger in the church age of the lukewarm ones, right? Okay, that's good. When you look at across the board and how they, the condemnation of the of what Jesus or the encouragement that Jesus had for them too. So, all right, anyone else? Terry. First few chapters, but I just I just wanted to mention that. A lot of people um, believe in the pre-rapture, pre, but what some people may not realize is I believe there's going to be persecution and martyrdom in this country and all over the world prior to the seven years. Okay. Well, and, and we know it's, I remember I put it up on Sunday morning. What's going on in the in outside the United States? The murders that are going on, um, but the persecution is already rising. In so, Terry. Yeah, I I think I've, I've I, after studying the book, I think that Tim LaHaye makes a great case for the pre-trib. <laughs> in other words, the rapture taken out before the tribulation, and I I used to be not believe that, but I do, I do believe that now, and I think what and and I've always wondered why the thousand-year reign happened. Why God did that? Why you let Satan go back in the world again? <laughs> and uh, I think uh, it, to me, in my little mind, it says he's trying to tell us what it's like without Satan and what it's like with Satan. <laughs> uh, that's why I think. 
We'll, uh, we're going to look at that. Hold that. Hold that. The chapter 22. Right? No. Anyone else? I mentioned it last week, but in reading Revelation, um, I've been, and I also reading it parallel in the transcend, tra <laughs> the trashion, trashion translation. My mouth won't work. Um, I, I've been writing from the footnotes all of the references of the names of God because I, I don't know, the last year I've studied a lot of names of God looking for ones that I didn't already know. And between one and four, stopping at three, there were just names that I didn't know, like Day of the Lord, Faithful Witness, First Begotten of the Dead, um, Ancient of Days, we all know that one. Um, one who has the sharp double-edged sword, Son of God whose eyes are blazing fire and feet are like burnished brass, the ruler of God's creation, the Amen, the God of the Amen, the one who has David's key. I like that one. So the names, and it, it's, I've just... Never knew Revelation had all this revelation of who Jesus was. Yeah, if, if you kind of focus on the first three chapters, let me switch here. The first part of that is really um, identity. We know right away, first of all, who's being challenged. We know the churches were, who, who's giving the messages and the the letters to the churches, and then the revelation of the rescue and the rapture. And so we're about ready to transition here in chapter 4 to, a, we're going into heaven, and we're going to look from the perspective of John who's taken into heaven. Um, LaHaye makes a point that Revelation 4.1 is another corresponding agreement of the pre-church, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And so we'll, we're going to take a look in a moment to that. So um, when we, I think we mentioned this last week, uh, there are 16 times in the first three chapters of, the, dis, of the, the, the word church is utilized. Then you have no mention of it again until Revelation 19. So in the corresponding, those who have LaHaye's book, if you want to turn with me to page 99, we'll just kind of pick on that in a moment, but the, um, whether you're pre or post or mid-tribulation, just, we're just going to kind of go with the assumption of the pre-trib rapture for now, um, recognizing that as long as we're in whenever it goes, we're good, right? It's all going to pan out, and that's, uh, that's the main thing. So um, in the discussion here of the rapture before the tribulation in Revelation 4.1, a couple other things. Remember the scripture in John 14 where Jesus says this, and I had never thought of the rapture in this context before. It's kind of, I had always thought of it as to be um, absent from the body is to be present from the, with the Lord, right? So when you think of John 14 and when he says in verse 2 there, and we'll read, just read it to you, 2 and 3, John 14, 2 and 3, where Jesus gathers his disciples, he's about ready to go away, and he's trying to give them some comfort I'm going away, but I won't leave you as orphans. Don't be afraid. He tells them, so, don't be afraid. When everything's ready, I'm going to come. And I'm sure he was disappointed when Philip and Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. We have no clue. We don't see the Father. And, and, and like, I spent all this time with you, showing you all this stuff. And, you, can, you know, I'm about ready to 
go be with dad again here. And, and so in John 14, he says this. In my father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you, interesting, take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Again, you could lean into the fact that that could happen at our death. I love what our, uh, Ron Anderson is at the Power and Love Conference, and I think it's in Texas this week, but so he was sharing at our House of Mercy ministry um, Thursday. His wife passed away, I think, three and a half weeks ago. And he was sharing, and he said, you know, all of us have written right here an expiration date. Hello? We all got an expiration date. We don't kind of think about that, but your book that is written about your life, which we know was formed in the found- before the foundation of the earth, according to Ephesians chapter 2, for the works that were created for you to walk in before the foundation. So your birth and your death is not random. It's not because your mom and dad got together, right? They had to, but that's not the reason that it happened, right? You have a purpose and a plan for now. This is your season. And so this is the day, and there is an expiration on our life. So when we come to this place of revelation, he, yes, we're going to go be with Jesus at that moment. But this also says he's got a room for all of us up there in dad's mansion. And that just encourages me. So let's, let's pick up, and uh, if you'll look at the, the first page of the handout, I've kind of put together four through nine. Some of the key themes, we're going to look at each chapter, but there's a door that's open in heaven. It seems it's not always open, but at this moment, in that revelation, in Revelation 4, it says there was a door that was opened literally means gateway, and then it is the come up here, come up hither. The scroll, we're going to look at the details of the scroll and who was able to open that scroll, what qualified that person. Then the seals, this starts to get, we get to get into the dicey part of the tribulation. The horsemen of the apocalypse, we're going to look at that, who are they, what authorized them, what are their specific purposes. And then the wrath of God that's poured out. And when you start to add up the number of deaths and how they occur, we don't really want to be here for this one. God's people are sealed and marked. These are the ones that come to Christ during the tribulation hour. If you remember, there's a, there's a scripture in Ezekiel where just before the destruction in, in uh, Jerusalem, the angel is told to go out and mark the people of God. And they go out with a marker, and they mark them, however you do that in the Spirit. And here again is a, is a flash forward to, again, the people of God get marked. If you've ever been in a place where, um, I remember some of you have been on mission trips with us, running deliverance tents in some really dark places. We've had the demons actually scream out, they're of the Most High. We can't touch them. They're too close to Christ. When Jesus walked in the temple, remember, often he would walk in, the demons go, ah, my son of God, why have you come to torment me in our before our time? And he tells them, shut up. The people don't know who I am, but the demons know who he was, right? And so when you carry Holy Spirit into a place of darkness, um, one, you, you can draw attention in the spirit realm, right? We have our seers, sometimes people who are involved in witchcraft. They'll come in the sanctuary 
and I've been on a mission field, one of our first trips, and one of our ladies says, there's a witch here. I said, okay. I didn't have that gift of seeing. And uh, another one of our ladies came out of a bathroom in Brazil and said, there's a witch here. I said, okay. And then one of our pastors had a dream the night before, saw a woman trapped in a log, and her head would pop up out of the log. And he told us at breakfast, there's a, I had a vivid dream of a woman, and then he comes up to me separately in that same meeting. He goes, that's the woman that was in the log. Within a few moments, she sits down and she starts projecting curses. And she projected them at my daughter Katie in Brazil, and that's not a good thing for dad, you know, going to lay hands on this witch. But I decided to do it spiritually. I said, all right, guys, start praying in the spirit. One of our Brazilian pastors, not involved in any of that, came down and immediately sat behind the woman and started praying in the spirit and tongues. Within about 30 seconds of maybe 20 of us bombarding in the spirit, the witch goes, boom, and falls out right in the pew. Later on, she's delivered, and the rest of the story is good. What's the point? The, when we look at what's going on in the spirit realm of this darkness and the demons that are released in the earth, whew, I really want to be gone out of here. So God marks his people. We get marked. You're already marked. If you are a born-again, spirit-filled believer, you're marked. And you ought to just recognize that. <laughs> It's a good thing. We'll look at the trumpet judgments and then the, when the bottomless pit gets opened. <laughs> okay, let's turn to um, let's do this. Turn to page 14, your second page there in your second handout. And in the highlights of chapter four and five here, we're going to see the following. John gets caught up from a heavenly perspective. Remember we said it's important to know, are we dealing with, are we down on earth when, when the revelation's happening or are we coming to heaven? And then chronology, we'll, we're going to look at how this, in this perspective, John is about ready to be taken up and it's God's throne. It's important to know who's around the throne. We know the 24 elders, we know the four beasts. Well, who are they? Well, are they created beings or are they redeemed, be, uh, redeemed earthlings? It's important to know. We're going to look at some of the correlation to that. And uh, then we see what the Holy Spirit is doing. We see the sevenfold Spirit of God, which we saw also, remember, in the first chapter of Revelation. And then we see the crystal sea, which actually, throughout um, the commentaries, speaks of a church company. The crystal sea is, a, is, a, is the shadowing of all the believers. It's pure, crystalline. And there's a large uh, company of those, the living creatures with all the eyes. I mean, just that in itself is like, wow, Hollywood probably can't do that one too much justice. But it, it has all these eyes on everything. Are these, are these the ones that see everything that's going on? Are they the recorders of everything that's happening? That every word, every thought, every jot, every tittle, every action that has occurred is recorded. How God is able is just, mm. The lamb that stands before the throne as one who had been slain. We know who that is, right? Then the myriad of myriad, billions of angels. 
So we're going to pick up and we're going to look at who's seated on the thrones, what clothing are they looking at, why is that important. So as we read through this, keep those things kind of triggered in your back of your mind. Um, and then the redemption of all the nations that come. So let's pick up in Revelation 4. I will be reading out of the New Living Translation. But I'll bop back and forth probably to the King James here. So it's like the, the language of it. King James starts with the word after, which is an interesting way to start that sentence. So we know it's kind of a follow-on directly from what was before. He had said to the last church, he that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church, 322. And then he picks up and says, after this, after what? Well, after he had spoken to all the, after this, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. New Living says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open. So there was an, an open door, which he had not seen before. So now there's a door that's been opened in heaven, the little, the gateway, and the same voice that I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Who can tell me the scripture that deals with the rapture? Thessalonians. And it's a trumpet, right? When the last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall be raised, and those that are caught up together in the twinkling of an eye. So again, the trumpet language there, it's interesting that the same voice that I heard before, now I hear again, and it says, the trumpet blasted, and the voice said, come up here. King James says, come up hither. Open heaven. Come up here. I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as the gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of the emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him. So get a picture. You have a, a central throne, and then there's 24 what I'll call sub-thrones around that. Get the picture in your mind of this. The 24 thrones surrounded him. The 24 elders sat on them. They were clothed in white and gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. In the front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. If you remember, we went to Isaiah and we looked at the seven spirits of God. There's only one Holy Spirit, but the attributes, right? The fear of God, the wisdom, the knowledge. So here we have around the throne are the flames that are going on with all of the seven spirit attributes of the Holy Spirit. So you have, you'll see shortly, we have the Father, we have the Holy Spirit, and we're about to have the Son, who was seated, we know, because of Ephesians, seated at the right hand. But now we're going to find out he's standing there. Well, why is he standing? Before he was, did he get up? Well, LaHaye makes a point. He's just come back from getting his bride, his church. So he's just come back from a mission, and he's brought back to heaven the amazing group of people, which I'm sure, you know, son, go get the, go get the kids, right? So he says, and instantly I was in the spirit. I saw the throne in heaven, someone sitting on it. Sitting on the throne was a brilliant gemstone. Circling the throne, a rainbow. Twenty-four elders surrounded. Twenty-four elders sat on them. 
And they were all clothed in white, gold crowns on their head. From the throne, flashes of lightning, rumble of thunder. In front of the throne were seven torches, the burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. So you get the dynamics of flashes of lightning, rainbows, crystal, thunder, holy, holy, holy. And they're, they're, you get the, the, the drama of what's going on. And John's look, he's probably looking like the beings in itself would have stopped me, right? So you get this picture of John is in this throne room place, the central part of where God is. There's a point, many of the commentators says, there's a fixed place of the throne of God. It doesn't move around. It's, probably, it's most definitely in the third heaven. Scripture reveals the, the different types of heaven. This is the place beyond that place where the throne and all the universe and everything else revolves around it. So this is this place, and there's John. He's brought there, transported in this place in the Spirit. You are worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power for all, you created all things. And they exist because you created what you pleased. Then I saw a scroll, 5.1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel. Many believe this is Michael. He's the warrior. Many of the commentators believe. You'll see here we see Gabriel. Well, and Daniel clearly identifies Gabriel, the archangel, came and brought the revelation. Many believe the warrior angel because we see also in the book of Daniel when he fights against the king of Persia, the, the demonic realm of, over Persia, which is Iran. And he says, I must also return to the fight for the for prince over Greece, which tells us that probably every nation has a demon structure over its, over its uh, and trying to influence it. So we see here, in that case, it was Michael the archangel is fighting the principality over Persia. And he says, I must return to the fight, Gabriel says, because we're engaging the prince over Greece. That's in the book of Daniel. So, if you don't think the United States has demons that are influencing it in all of the craziness that's happening in homosexuality and in abortion and immorality and drug addiction, the destruction of the family, that is demonically influenced stuff. So, as intercessors, we must engage those things. We have full authority over that. That's a sidelight. Okay, let's pick up. 
written on the inside of the, it was both on the front and the outside of the scroll was sealed seven seals. I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or in one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. In heaven, on earth, or under the earth. Interesting. Again, look at the correlation. When you remember what we said, I think it was last week or week before, when one of the names of him was the one who has the keys of hell and Hades. During the time of the after the crucifixion, we know that three-day period. It says, based both in Ephesians and in Peter's account, Christ went into the earth. And we know from Luke's uh, the account where the rich man and Lazarus, in that battle it says Abraham's bosom, all the pre-Christian, pre-Christ, those believers that were with Abraham in Father's bosom, when Jesus went down and got the keys, he said to Satan, give me the keys back. The blood's been shed. I've now vindicated. Give me the keys. He unlocks Abraham's bosom. And at that point, we know crazy things happen in Matthew's account of the resurrection. It says, the dead were seen coming out of their graves and wandered around. Now, again, that would just like freak me out. And so, these are accounts, again, when you look at the correlation between Scripture of what's said and then what we know from others, written over 66 books over how many centuries by different authors. That's why you know 2 Timothy 3.16 is absolute. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right, let's pick up. John says in verse 4, chapter 5, Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, that's interesting, he's holy, 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 it's still going on. John's there, oh my God, who's going to do it? Elders grabs John, right? Again, I'm trying to visualize all this, I'm a visual person. He says, one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, what another name, right? We know that one. The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. For whatever reason, it wasn't obvious. Now, was the lamb, the, the, the lion of the tribe not there? Was there a gap? Why did the, the there doesn't see anybody, anybody, well, all of a sudden the elders said, no, he's worthy. He's here. Did he then enter the scene? From the come up hither, he had been seated at the right hand, but now he's standing at the throne. So was he there with the whole tribe of everyone else who's now witnessing what's going on in heaven? I, I don't know. Again, it's, you could put that together. We know that this one who is the heir of David's throne, keep your finger here. I think we looked at this, but turn back to Isaiah 11. There's two things out of Isaiah 11 that are worthy in the connection here. We know, first of all, the seven spirits of God are listed in Isaiah 11, right, that come out. It's from verse 2 on. But it starts in verse 1. Isaiah 11, 1 says, out of the stump of David's family. This is legacy. I love Pastor Mike's always speaking about legacy, right? There's a legacy here that we know that Jesus had to come out of. And you look at the, the account in Matthew chapter 1 of the legacy of all who begot, who begot, who begot, who begot, Right? So important, it says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. 
the new branch. That's another one of his name, the branch. You'll see him. And the bearing the fruit from that old root. Somebody told me, I was talking with Pat, uh, Pat Bradford earlier about legacy. Someone who's in worship just found out that related to somebody who did worship back in how long ago? Yeah, it's like, so if, you're st- if you do some things, you might, it might be because your family line did it. Just a thought. That can be both positive and negative. We know out of Exodus 20, verse 5, right? The sins of the Father visit, but I bless to a thousand generations those who love me. Okay, back here. We hear the branch, and then the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Does that sound like Luke chapter 4 when he opens the scroll, when he walks in the temple the first time? He says, this day, right? And he quotes Isaiah, and of course they get mad at him because they realize, you're now claiming you're, you're this guy, the Messiah. Uh, yes, I am. That didn't go well with the religious guard, but okay. The, spirit, the one with spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will, judge, he will not judge by appearance nor make decision based on hearsay. Drop down to verse 11, uh, verse 10. Um, In that day, heirs to David's throne, there will be a banner of salvation to all the world and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. So when we, we look at the sevenfold spirits of God and we look at the lineage, we're now back to Revelation chapter 5. Picking up there in verse 5, it says, the, the lamb is worthy to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. Now, again, what, what's the transition here? The lion of the tribe of Judah is here. He's worthy. The elder tells John. And then he says, David, I mean, John looks at him and says, I saw a lamb that appeared to have been slain. So what's the transformation of this? How does a lamb look slain? And again, the picture of this is, did he, did he see the lamb? Was there this lion of the tribe picture and then the lamb transition? The scarred hands, the, the, the side, I don't know what, but John, he says, I looked and it was as if a lamb had been slain. And of course, that would have meant a whole lot to John and the, the sacrifices for the Jewish people, what he had witnessed with Jesus' mother at the crucifixion. So at that moment, we see this. John has the revelation is, now I see not only the lion of the tribe of Judah, but I see the one who was also the lamb that had been slain. And we know that that is, he came as a babe. He was the offered lamb, but he's coming back as a warrior. And when the wrath of God is poured out like this, many would say, why would God ever do that? He's a just God. And he's like, he's coming back and he's not taking any prisoners. Well, he is. He's going to take all the prisoners. But it's this place where he is both the lamb and the victor, this, the lion. Then I saw the lamb that looked as if he'd been slaughtered, verse 6, who is now standing between the throne. So he's no longer sitting. He's standing between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. Now, here's another transition. All these pictures of the authority. Horns in the scriptures mean authority. Seven means perfection. The seven eyes mean the all-seeing eyes. Again, the perfection of that. It says, 
the picture of this is just, again, trying to visualize in your brain what you're seeing. The eyes represent the sevenfold spirit of God that was sent out to every part of the earth. Remember it says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro in the earth, looking for someone he may show himself strong in. He's looking right now. He's got it right now, right? So he says that they sent out every part of the earth. He stepped forward, took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. This is God the Father who's got the scroll in his hand. The question is, who's worthy to open it? He reaches over and he grabs it from the Father. We know he's now the one that, and the Father doesn't argue with him. He releases the scroll. He steps forward, takes the scroll in his right hand to the one sitting, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. Now look at this. This is important. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense. So you got these beings, right? They've got a harp going, and the 24 elders got it too. So, you know, you got, they're playing, and they're holding the prayers of the saints, the golden bowls are the prayers. All the prayers you've prayed, the ones, the ones that have not been answered yet, they're there. They, have, they, don't have a, they don't have a restriction on their time. There's not an expiration date, right, on the prayers. So they're in the bowl, and they're being melody with the throne room of God right now. Now, when they be answered is a question that some debate. It could be at the conclusion of all this, or it could be now. We know He answers prayer we just don't know when, and we sometimes don't like the timing of it. He tells us to be patient. Trust the Lord, do good. He'll give you the desires of your heart, right? Psalm 37. But wait patiently for Him to act. Okay, so we see that these bowls are filled with the incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. So they're playing, they're holding your prayers that get, by the way, as you're praying every night, every tonight, tomorrow morning, the prayers are being filled while the melody is playing, and they're singing a song. There's something about this. That's why prayer and the power of prayer and the, 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 the fact that they're being collected at the very throne room of God who knows all things in timing and purpose and plan and goodness. That's why we've got to keep praying. We gotta, you have not because you ask not, right? Pray without ceasing. Because those bowls are being filled. It says, and they sang this new song with the words, you're worthy to take the scroll, to break the seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for God's people, for every tribe and language and people of the nations. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard of voices. I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, of all the living beings and elders, and they sang a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and the blessings. And when I heard every creature in heaven, I heard every creature in heaven. What was that like? On earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, they sang, Blessed 
Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. Just a side note, you ever heard the, the testimony when they take the sound of the crickets at night and they slow it down? Where all creation groans, all creation honors him. It's interesting just to, you know, I kid Katie about the bullfrogs at night, right? Yeah, there's a, um, there was a, a video I saw where they took the normal, we could probably ask Walter to do this test or study for us, but when you look at all creation, it says they took the normal sound of the tempo of crickets at night, and they, and they no, I didn't hear the bullfrog video, just the cricket video, <laughs> so I won't ad lib to that, but they slowed that down, and it was a worship of God. I don't know where I heard that, but I, anyway, um, interesting. But I, when I thought of every creature in the earth and in the sea that are worshiping God in the creation, we know the creation cries out to Him, right? All creation groans for the revelation of the sons of God, Romans 8. The sons of God will one day manifest, and all this craziness will now be under the one who lives forever. Let me finish. He says, they, the one that sat on the throne that lives forever and ever And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. So you get the picture of, wow, this is amazing place of video where God has got this creative aspect of what's happening to John in the midst of it. So now let's turn to your, um, let's... <sighs> oh, that's great. Well, why don't you just power it off? Okay, that's good. Whose wife is that, by the way? <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, great. All right. Um, Okay, turn back to the handout on page 14. I want to um, draw your attention. If you look at the bottom of that page, note there's a highlight. If you've got your scripture, turn to um, Hebrews chapter 12 and look at, again, a correlation here. So if you're in Revelation, just turn to the left and let's get to Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse... Let's, let's pick up, this is a warning um, by the writer of Hebrews about God's discipline. He loves those, he, he disciplines those he loves, right? And there's a, not an enjoyable scripture in here about um, if you turn away, but he picks up here and he says, um, he uses the example of both what was in the earth that was natural in worship, and then there was the spirit of Zion, and they pick up in verse 22, Hebrews 12, 22. You have come unto the Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. 
and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling and the, the speaking better things than that of Abel. New Living says it this way, verse 22, Now you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, we're going to see that in the latter part of Revelation, the countless thousands of angels, this correlates to what we just read, and the joyful gathering, this is the sea or the, the gathering of all the crickets and creation and the glass and all the, you have come to the assembly of the God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. And so you have come to him, God himself, who is the judge over all things and the righteous ones that have been now made perfect. You see the correlation between what the writer of Hebrews writes there and what you just read in Revelation, right? It's again, the, the correlation there, I think, is just an interesting note. All right, pick up and turn with me. Page 15 in your handout. Highlights of the Revelation in chapter 4. Just I pulled out some things here. We're just going to... What we're about to enter, according to um, the commentaries on the pre-trib, is we are about to close the church age. Remember, the seven churches represented the specific actual churches of the time, but also the ages of the church, and basically individuals. You could probably stack up all those uh, things that Jesus spoke that were positive and negative, and you could put that as an individual, you could put it as a church, you could put it as a nation, right? And they will be the judgments both for the sheep and the goats, as well as the sheep and goat nations. So we see here that we're about ready to transition, the church age is closing, we're about to commence into the tribulation hour, which is a seven-year period. Sunday, I'm going to spend uh, a fair amount of time on Daniel's 70 weeks and how to correlate the number of weeks that were prophesied. They, they actually, I'll give you just a taste, when you go back into the Hebrew and you look at Daniel's 70 weeks that are prophesied about this period, the last week of the seven is the seven-year period of the tribulation, which is here. The Daniel 70 weeks, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel is actually groups of seven, and they mean heptads. So, for example, um, if we were to say it's a dozen, a dozen what? Eggs or weeks or dozen what? Nails. Give me a dozen. A dozen what? You got to be, it has to go with the context of what you're, so what what Daniel shares through the revelation through Gabriel is there's a season specifically outlined. The timing was always confusing to me, but I think I got it. And um, at least a good analogy of it. You can't be too dogmatic about it, but when he talks about the season, I believe we have expended everything now in the correlation of the, of the revelation and in Daniel. There's only one week left of Daniel's prophecy. And he told Daniel, go sleep. Daniel, the last days, the understanding and the revelation will be revealed to those who are wise. We're going to look at this, and it's going to take me two Sundays probably to get through it. I don't know how we'll get there, but I want you to see that at this point, tribulation hour is here. John says in that handout, after this, in the writing of the seven churches, I looked, John experiences what true believers will experience at the moment of their rapture. So when you just think about what we try to imagine at the throne room, that's us in the rapture point. All of a sudden, we're caught up together with him, and we're in instantly, in the twinkling of an eye, we're in the throne room. You'd be, if you think, of, like, first it's like, I made it. 
say like, and you're probably looking around, did, did who else made it? You know, you know, it's going to be awesome. And so this, that place, and to see the thunder. Do you remember what happened to the Israelites at Mount Zion when Moses, they were having, they brought the law down, right? And they said, we don't want to see God. You go see God for it. It's, there's earth's quaking, there's thunders, and there's lightning, and, there's, and they're going, we... That's probably what's going to except at this point we're redeemed, right? We have this place of the glorification. We know all the, it, we'll, we'll talk in a, probably next week about the premise is that the believers are judged at this point. We don't go to the great white throne judgment, which is later for all the dead who've never received Christ. That will be later. So at this point, there is this, the seven-year period is enough time for the bridal party, which we'll see in Revelation 19, there's time enough for all the judgment of the believers for all their works and the glorification of all the things that we know will come together. And then he will come back as an army. The awards are given. I know you got a... Huh? Yeah, yes. There's a reward. We'll, we'll look at the books, actually... Uh, I researched this, both in Revelation and Daniel, it, it speaks of books. The books will be open, plural, in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and it says, then later he says in Revelation, we'll see it, I think it's in uh, chapter 20, the book of life, all are judged out of the books, books of rewards or their works, and the book of life. That's why when we say when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, the moment that you accept Christ, there is a recording that plague takes place. We see that in Malachi chapter 3. There's a stenographer in heaven who's a keeper of the books. I don't know, again, how that works. But it says, every one of you and every me, we all have everything of our lives has been recorded. Every idle word, every thought, every action, every time you confessed, that ought to, that ought to do something to us, right? Because you want to go before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll see this again in Daniel. It says, the Ancient of Days sat down in the courtroom when he sat down. And at that point, they were all judged out of the books. And so can you imagine standing in the courtroom in that throne room example there, thunders and lightning, and you come up and do you have a lawyer or do you representing yourself? Jesus is our lawyer, Right? He's the advocate. He's the one who makes intercession for us. He's the one who paid the price. So when the accuser brings up, well, they did this, they did this, that was confessed, not guilty. I object, I object, I object, I object. Blood's covered it, blood's covered it, blood's covered it. And it's like, whoo, thank you, Jesus, right? Makes us love him even the more, right? So this, all of this sits together. When you look at the judgments of things, it ought to scare the hell out of us. Okay? It's the beginning of all wisdom. The reverential honor of God is the beginning of all wisdom. You know, when we really realize how finite we are <laughs> and how big He is, it ought to drive us right to the place where Christ is at that throne experience for us. He loves us. Okay, let's pick up. The rainbow, verse, verse 3 there, the rainbow around God, it's very possible the same one he set in the sky in the flood in Genesis 9. Just a thought there. Um, 
the verse 4 there, it says the lesser thrones. The Amplified, the Greek rendering is the lesser thrones. Throughout the New Testament, the elders are leaders set in the church, right? In the natural, remember in the book of uh, Titus, Titus and Timothy gives the qualifications of a church elder, right? A bishop, right? Those who oversee the church. And so we look at that. What are the qualifications there? But they were human earthlings who have a certain lifestyle and meet a certain qualification. They're not given to filthy lucre. They're not drunkards. They're not angry. They're, they're able to, to uh, their, their lifestyle represents that. They're, so in the natural, the elders. But here, in this group of 24, there's a, um, you can't be dogmatic. They, do the 24 represent believers? Because we're all priests and kings, Right? We shall all rule and reign with Him. So are they representative of all y'all who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And are there lesser thrones? I mean, right? Or LaHaye thought at one time, he says, no, I think they're all angels. He's changed his opinion on that. He writes that in the book. He says, because they've been redeemed by the blood. Angels don't need to be redeemed by the blood, right? So they believe that, and I, I, I agree with this, I believe these elders are either representative or they are actually the generals of the Spirit. Maybe they're the Billy Grahams or the D.L. Moody's or the John Wesley's. I don't know. Just Or you, the redeemed ones. And so we see this, that there's this, the number seven, I mean, the, in verse four there it says that amplify the, the elders, in, or they show the 24 elders who are leaders of, of God's children in the earth. And the crowns indicate that the elders are righteous and extremely victorious. Often the crowns represented there, you shall be given the crown. Now, kings and priests wear a certain garb. So we know there's a priestly order, there's a kingly order. And so I don't know if that's the, the amount of good works that you have done. We know in Revelation 19, it says the, the, the people of God have made themselves ready by the good deeds. The garments they'll wear to the wedding are the deeds that have been done, the righteous deeds by the ones. So again, if you're thinking about all of what the, what's being portrayed here and what they're wearing, what the picture of that is, and how it fits with other scriptures, it could be a, uh, an, an order of redeemed beings that have been now given rule and order to the universe. Let's pick up the verse 5. I think we've covered this one. The seven lamps are the seven spirits. But there's only one Holy Spirit, and obviously, there, but there are different attributes of it, but the Holy Spirit is present there. The sea of glass, verse 6 there, that's the, the sea, and it's used as, in Scripture, the crystal is symbolic of right standing before God, the holiness of the church of Jesus Christ. The crystal sea is symbolic of the church. So it's there. The, the church member would, will not be given over to the enemy. It shall prevail against Satan and all of his stuff. Okay, 7-11. Turn to page 16. The four beasts are beings. In the Greek, it's an interesting word, zoon. It means creature. Acts as a messenger to John. And they aid him in understanding the vision. As they are full of eyes, all seeing, they stand at the observance of God's throne, and, they're, and, and they are angelic beings. Symbolically, the number four means unity and harmony. 
The number of beasts being four possibly indicates that all the things will be in, united into harmony. And the angels lead the orderly worship of God, and the 24 elders worship only at the beast's signal. And there's some references there in the different amplified. So. Okay, turn the page. The highlights of Revelation 5, which we read. We see the seven seals that are in the right hand. The personalities that are going to get released um, in the book, you're going to see. Um, again, they believe that the strong angel that we read that is, is Michael. He's the warrior. He said, who can open the book? No one. No man can. Under the earth, above the earth, in the earth. John weeps. We see in verse 6, the vision of the Lamb of God which had been slain. Now, Jesus is depicted as standing in the midst of the throne. Colossians 3 states that Jesus sits at the right hand. Also, we know from Ephesians, we're seated with him, right, in heavenly places. The reason, the, the, the reason Revelation 5, 6 describes Jesus as standing rather than sitting is, pre-trib rap says that he just returned from a quick trip to gather up the church. Can you imagine that? The, what, what would it be like to enter into the throne room, the, all the church and all the... It's kind of like, it, it's going to be so much better than kids on Christmas morning when they come down, right? Wondering what's there for us. Yeah. John. Hold that. We'll be picking that up the next two Sundays. Okay, I've got a interesting. Not right now. No, hold it because I'm gonna. You take. You'll probably steal my thunder from Sunday next couple Sundays. So we're gonna get. We're gonna dig into it. But eventually, what I want to do is I want to. I want to lay out all of the prophetic scriptures, and you're gonna see this correlation between Zechariah and Ezekiel, and you'll see it in the Book of Daniel, Revelation, and then we'll cherry pick some. It's it's an exciting time we're living in. I really, for whatever reason, he's got us here now, and that's awesome. Okay, he just returned, verse 6 there in page 17, he says, he has just returned from a quick trip to gather the church from the earth. Remember, John is viewing God's throne from a believer's standpoint, and because of this, we can safely say that Jesus has just returned from his blessed and triumphant mission. Clearly, you remember when we read uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke, uh, Luke 21? It says he, he gives the command to the angels to go gather the elect from the four corners. So there's this sweeping motion. So he's got an angelic, the billions of billions, right? Go get the marked kids. And he brings them. And so here we are, for, like from John's standpoint, standing before the throne. It's going to get fun when we when we start when they get joined later by the martyrs who come out of the come out of the uh, great tribulation. Clearly, the Holy Spirit is before the throne. Jesus is described as having seven horns and seven eyes. There's so many symbols, right? A lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe. He has seven horns. I mean, if you try to draw this thing, you, you, they might want to evaluate you, right? <laughs> You're like seven horns and seven eyes and the slain. Wow. But all of it is, is, again, 
We know that horns mean authority. Eyes mean all-knowing. He's the all-knowing, all-powerful God. Again, so these are uh, our language points to try to describe a God who's infinite. It's, okay. Jesus walks to God and takes the book out of his hand, the scroll. The 24 elders and the four living beings fall down before him and begin worshiping. <clears throat> the elders are part of the prayer of the saints, revealing that they are associated with earthly beings. <clears throat> they have harps, and they sing a new song, and they tell us that the redeemed sing a new song. So all of a sudden, the chorus starts, and we join in to the chorus of heaven. <clears throat> so the elders were redeemed by the blood, verse 9, the elders were redeemed out of the blood and out of every race of people. Therefore, they represent a much larger company. <clears throat> I just want to point out in the King James, that verse <clears throat> says us. <clears throat> so I believe that these are, these 24 elders are, are earthlings that have been redeemed. It's possible. When you, with, remember, it's 24. So are they the 24 patriarchs, uh, the 12 patriarchs and the 12 disciples? <clears throat> I, it's possible. In fact, th th there's a, there was a debate in one of the commentaries about does it represent all the patriarchs, remember, Abraham, Isaac, and does it represent the 12, obviously not Judas, but Matthias, who we know from Acts, Acts 2 was a replacement. You don't hear anything more about him. Um, I believe it's representative of redeemed, those who have been redeemed. And so because it, if you look at the balance of Scripture, it says, you are now a nation, right? First Peter chapter 2. You are now a nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're now kings and priests. That's who we are. We may not feel it or act like it at times, but you are, you are a nation. You are people of a different group. You're not of this world. You're a peculiar crowd. You're marked by the blood. You've been redeemed. You can't. I'm getting zapped all over, so I know he likes it. So it's like... Once we understand that we are the priesthood of God and we're the redeemed ones and we can worship Him around the throne and we enter into that place, this ought to encourage us. This is where we're going, right? This ought to encourage us to the point where, yes, this is where we're going to have the, talk about worship. We try to touch it. You know, when we enter in our worship league, we try to, and some days it's like, mm, so wonderful, right? You can, if you're ever in those worship places where the Holy Spirit's moving, it may start out and sometimes it's like, it's just, it's like I'm dragging something. I'm like trying to get there and can't see it. And then it's just the days. I remember a few weeks ago, I mean, it was like from the first strum. And I don't know if the people that came in, they weren't carrying their junk. They had prepared themselves. The worship team. All of a sudden, it's like, we're there. It's like, whew, And things just start happening. Words start flying. Prophecies start high. Right? Things start happening over the airwaves to people that are live streaming. It's like, those are the places we long for to get to. But there's a place here in worship. We can touch, we can get there. Because remember, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Romans 8, 11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Again, I, I can't get my human head around that. I don't know how an all-powerful, all-living God can go in this. But that's what he says. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God. Stones, the living stones fit together, right? Peter tells us. As the temple of God. So when we come in on these worship sets, it's like, 
Come on in prepared. Let's put the fire stones together, right? The Vinsects are leading us this Sunday. We're going to, yes, we'll go in there and get in the throne room around God and just worship Him in advance. Okay, I'm off track. Let me get back here. All right, the, so we see that they're, they're redeemed. Verse 10 says, the earthly saints of the first resurrection will reign in the millennium. Now, this is interesting. There are some debates that there are actually maybe two raptures. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I, I, I kind of, in the mid-trib, and I'll, I'll try to cover this, but remember where it says later, we'll read it. It says, the martyrs who shed their blood, many of those who were even beheaded during the martyr, they're around the throne. And so we know that once you die, that you, you, I believe you're present with the Lord, right? It is, a, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Well, again, God's timing, a day is a thousand years. <laughs> so, hey, I, I don't know. It, again, that's, we'll have to see what the Lord tells us about all that. But there are those that believe that there was a group that comes out of the martyrdom during the tribulation that is joined around the throne room. So, all right, let's move on. Jesus returns, verse 11, Jesus returns to heaven with the saints of all the ages, his loosing of the seven seals, a hundred billion angels surround God's throne to join in the celebration. The great number gives us insight into the awesomeness of God's company. Christ is worthy of power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Now, turn to page 10. Lord, I've got to hurry. Uh, I, I want to point out there's an interesting contrast, and LaHaye does a good job on this one. Go back. Go back I'm sorry, figure 10. Excuse me. The turn to the next page. The one that has the cor- shows the contrasting events between the rapture, blessed hope, and the glorious appearing. The glorious appearing, anybody want to take a whack at what that is? Second coming. There you go. So when you look at the difference between the rapture or what they call the blessed hope and the second coming of Christ, just uh, kind of look down the list here. Uh, we, we've kind of the first six or so are obvious. We've just studied some of those. Um, there's no signs for the rapture other than you might say that Matthew 24, so when you start to see these things happen, but there's really, he didn't say, he says, watch out, be ready, you don't know the day or the hour, it's going to come on the earth like a thief in the night, right? And so, it's closing in, but we do know that there'll be a lot of signs on Christ's second coming, and I think I listed in Matthew 24, there's like 16 signs, and it says when you start to see these things start to happen, you know that the birth pangs are here, and that they're right at the door, he stands right at the door. Okay, well then, um, ver- number 10 there says, before the day of wrath. And he believes that corresponds that the second coming comes immediately after the tribulation, using Matthew 24. Um, there is no mention of Satan in the rapture, other because remember the, the one who's, we read in Second Thessalonians, the one, the lawless one who holds back has not been revealed yet. But he will be revealed. The Antichrist doesn't get revealed really until many believe mid-tribulation when the world, one world government takes place. And I, I, I read uh, today, if you were in church a few weeks ago, I, we studied uh, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38. And we looked at the war that's coming and I showed you the picture of Putin from Russia, right? And, I, and then we had 
uh, Iran, and we had um, Turkish president there as well, right? And they're in agreement, and that's part of what's prophesied in the latter days. I will bring you from the north against my people when they dwell safely in the land. And this horde will come against Israel. And there is this massive, well, interesting, you can't find a correlation that says that happens necessarily in the tribulation. LaHaye and another commentator believe World War III could happen just before the, before the rapture of the church or immediately following the rapture of the church, which would then usher in the one world government, because if World War III happens, I told you I was on nuclear submarines, right? On a Trident boat, one of our Trident missiles can take out a lot of people, right? And they carry 24 of them. And the Russians have the same number. And you look at what's going on and recently with all the supersonic stuff that's being put together, right? So if that goes out and there is a conflict between Russia and ourselves, and there is this massive loss of life and a nuclear cloud, they said, in fact, Homeland Security says you should prepare for six months of no electricity. That came out recently this week. Didn't you read that to me? And so that's Homeland Security of our country. So just think about it for a moment. If there was this place where a conflict happened and rapture hadn't occurred yet, what would speed on the, the gathering of nations to stop all this craziness. The humanist globalists would get together, we got to stop this, and in the midst of that, the one horn that rises up amongst the other horns, the other rulers and authority would give in place. You hear all this stuff about the aliens and this theory, the, the, the theories of aliens come. One theor theorist came out and said, what if it was this disappearance of the church, the, the millions that were captured and taken away, Aliens came and took them off. Therefore, we need to band together as a group of nations, point a leadership because they're coming back and we got to get them. That's, the, that's not theory. They're, they're talking about this now. As they do all this uh, theoretical thinking and what about aliens? So it would be an interesting delusional point. In fact, it says, all those who do not love the truth, God sends them strong delusion that they might believe a lie. So we just see the corollary here. If you, again, back on the contrast between the second coming and the rapture, number 12 there, the judgment seat of Christ. The opposite is there's really no time for the judgment seat in the second coming. That's why he believes during the seven-year period when everything's going to hell in a handbasket down here, we're up there around the throne and worshiping and doing all those things. And, and it might be, okay, it's your day for court. You got your court notice. And you have your day. How did it go for you? Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't convicted. I'm here. <laughs> you know? So he believes that there's this place where the church is being all made ready. Why? Because in Revelation 19, we're coming back with the one who is the rider on the white horse. We are now armed, dangerous, fully redeemed, ready to go do war. Now, of course, we, we just probably come along for the ride because it says he kills him with the breath of his mouth. You're done, toast. And he's like, it's over, right? Wow. But then the battle of Armageddon. And uh, we'll look at this in that second coming part, the battle that will come during this tribulation hour. Back in November, we sat on the, some of us, we were in Israel, 
and we looked over the valley of Megiddo. And there's Megiddo. There were those that believed that, in fact, our Jewish guide believes that that final battle will take place on the Mount of Olives. But I think when you look at the valley, if you're going to move millions, especially when the kings of the east come with, you know, a hundred million, right? Millions upon, hundred thousand, thousands? What is that? Is that a is that hundred million? I, I get a large number of the kings of the east come. How do you move tanks and weaponry? You got to have planes. You got to be able to move your stuff, right? You can bring your planes. It says they, they cover it like the cloud. Those sounds like troopers jumping out of planes and all. When, it, when you put the picture together of that, that valley of Megiddo and that plane of warfare where the Israelis will bury the dead for the next seven years, that battle is going to be, it says the blood runs as high as the bridles of the horses. If you ever think, if you ever seen the movies of, of uh, D-Day and what took place on Omaha Beach, it's going to be a hundred thousand times like that. When the second coming comes, it says every eye will see him, number 14. But in the rapture, only his own see him. He believes tribulation begins, number 15, and then in the second coming, the thousand-year reign of Christ comes. Just an interesting uh, correlation between the glorious appearing and the rapture. Okay? We've got a few minutes left. Let's turn to page 18, and we'll look at the seals. This is where it really starts to get going here on earth, and we'll look at the horses of the apocalypse. Um, first of all, we know that there are six seals, uh, the seven seals, but the, the seals get opened here are six. The martyred saints, we're going to look at those, but let's pick up on verse 1. It says, another confirmation that only Jesus is able to open the seals was the opening of each of the first four seals, one of the four beasts calls John to view the results. The first seal produces the rider on the white horse. Notice that the rider is not named. The Antichrist identity is withheld throughout the text of God's Word. He has a bow. It's interesting. He has a bow, and the white horse rider has the bow but no arrows. There's an interesting scripture in Luke 20. 1122, which is kind of interesting. It says, when a stronger one, Jesus, he, this is really when Jesus is talking about doing deliverance, when you enter a strong man's house and you bind him, also out of Matthew 12, it says, when a stronger one, Jesus, rather than Satan, shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he is trusted and divides his spoil. The bow is deception and lies. We know having a bow without arrows, so he's what good is a gun without bullets, right? So we, the Antichrist is virtually a powerless man, but where does he get his power? From Satan, and how does he wield it? Through deception, believing the lie. He's the deceiver. He's the liar. He's been the liar from the beginning. So we see here that um, the Antichrist is virtually this powerless guy, but he has a source of authority and ability to manipulate, and we see that in Daniel, both verse uh, 24 and 25 of chapter 8. Revelation 13, 12, 2 says it's satanic. Here we see in Revelation 6, 2, a crown was given unto him, but Jesus already wears many crowns. So no one need to think, that, what we're trying to point out is, this rider is not Christ, okay? 
This is, this is a dark writer who's been released. The writer can only be the Antichrist because Christ has already overcome the world. We know that from John 16, 33. He opens the first seal and shortly after his return to the Father with his saints, the church at the beginning of the tribulation. The second seal produces a red horse whose rider has power to take peace from the earth. So this is the warfare rider. So we see that this first, there's a deception that's going on, the Antichrist, the manipulation, the control that's happening there. Then we start to see the war that breaks out. And I just put a, you might want to put a little question mark there. This, the battle there described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, this is where many, there's a difference or commentators have different views. This could happen, this war, this World War III between Russia coming against Israel could happen before the rapture or right at the beginning of the rapture. But I think, like I described, if there were a nuclear exchange between those two the superpowers and Israel is immediately delivered from that, it opens the door to what Romans speaks about when the day of the Gentiles has now come to that point where all Israel will be saved. Would that open the door to there is a God, so secular Jews living throughout Tel Aviv, all of a sudden they realize God has delivered us. I don't know if you ever saw any of the postings from the uh, Hamas out of Gaza complaining that every time we launch our missiles, their God knocks them down. That's out of, those are the Muslims speaking out of, right? When they launch their, their stuff, right? He says, we, we can't ever seem to make them stick. So, again, I, I'm just saying that this alignment of the nations right now and the aggressive thing that's going on with Putin, taking Crimea, moving into the, the Red Sea, capturing the sailors from Ukraine, and all that's taking place, shipping the oil into Germany, gas line into Germany, where they can shut off Germany's economy in, in a heartbeat. All these things are set in a place that would open the door for Antichrist to come in world, one world government. We already know the globalists are in this move. Sovereignty, what's going on with England right now? In Brexit, this is, a, this is a demonic battle going on right now. What's going on in our nation is a demonic battle going on right now. you got the battle between the globalists who says one world government, no borders, no sovereignty. And yet God created nations. And now, then you have, and, and you know, Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and that United Nations control, whether it comes out of Brussels or one world government, what would set the stage for that? Something horrific has to happen. And then everyone... We don't care about sovereignty. Yeah, we need, you know, I remember an article way back then, give us, the world is in such chaos, we don't care if it's God or Satan, but give us one to rule. Wow, I saw that article. Oh, my God, no. Okay, the third seal, 5-6 there on the bottom, produces the black horse, the rider of famine. Famine always follows war. The rider has a pair of balances in his hand. Although horrible, the famine is restricted and it cannot hurt the oil and the wine, and it is not worldwide. The famine is not the absence of food, but a shortage. So, I know I had you read four and five. We're going we're gonna to just close with, read through Revelation 6 with this in mind of the horseman. Turn the page, because the fourth horseman is death, the pale horse. The rider on the pale horse is always death. His evil companion is hell. They travel together. 
Hundreds of millions are slain during the seven-year frame. Hell reaps part of the harvest of these souls. Power is given to these four riders to kill one-fourth of the earth's population through wars, famines, death, and the earth's beasts. Many of those killed are unrighteous. This is indicated in that hell accompanies death. The four horsemen continue their ride throughout the seven-year period. Their activities increase as they go along. The opening of the first four seals does not immediately signal the Battle of Armageddon. The second seal releases World War III, which he believes is Ezekiel 38 and 39. What I'm saying is I don't know if I agree to that timing. Russia is described in the Middle Eastern riches, wealth, and, and especially after Israeli's food. But now the fact that Israel has found this amazing amount of wealth right off their shoreline. I forget, the, they told me the numbers of the natural gas and stuff that is right in their shoreline. They are now producing this. And so the wealth that is going to be coming to Israel as a result of this find is going to make them an attractive target when resources get scarce. All right, let's pick up. It says, Russia desires the Middle Eastern riches and wealth, especially food, misjudging Israel to be easy prey. Russia attacks her. The battle's quick, decisive, lasts one day because of the divine intervention of God, and Israel is the victor. The Antichrist now takes a step forward, makes his move to become the world leader. However, the zenith of his rule does not occur until mid-trib, once the first seal is open. Remember, he comes on and he says, peace, peace, what a perfect time. We've just had millions die, let's declare peace. And he makes a peace treaty with Israel, right? Remember this from um, reading of the scriptures? And in that, and it looks good, and then he turns in the midway point, he flips this thing hold, and he stands in the, in the temple, declares himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation we read out of Matthew 24. Daniel also looks at it. And so when we see, this would be a perfect plan. So what I'm saying is there could be a major war that would kick this whole thing off. And when you look at the positioning of where we are right now in the, in the nations, it's possible. Okay, the, um, the Antichrist there, it says, does, does a reasonable job of establishing a false peace. He'll cause his craft to prosper in his hand. He's, he's his good negotiator. He will destroy wonderfully. He will also destroy wonderfully, Daniel 8.28. He has the power that comes from Satan. He shall have power to be mighty but not his own power, verse 24, so which tells you it's a lot by deception and he's actually inhabited by the demonic realm. And establishing the pact with Israel, he later breaks it, sets himself up as God, and we'll see that in, sec in Daniel. We also read it out of Thessalonians before. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs killed in their testimony for God's word. Um, you notice it says that how long, O oh God, how long, how long? It's kind of like this, how long are you going to let this go on before you don't redeem us? So there's this restless impatience. So that's probably earthlings. <coughs> and the martyrs are given white robes and admonished to rest and be patient while the whole company is complete. And we'll, uh, we'll kind of, I think, stop here. We've got one minute. So let me um, ask you to read forward chapter 6, 7, 8, and if you can do 9, uh, not that it's a light you know, bedtime read. <laughs> it's like easy listening, fire and brimstone, right? It's like, so um, 
at this point, what I'd, here's what I would like you to, as you're reading through this, first, any questions that you got as to, okay, the timing of this event, we know we're in the seven-year period. It's probably in a great compression, actually, three-and-a-half-year period. But um, So a lot's going. Keep track of all the stuff that you think would be going on in the United States, in your household, if we were here. And when we start to see later when the mark of the beast comes and the famine that's there is those who refuse to receive the mark, can't buy or sell. And I shared with you the cashless society stuff that's coming out of Israel, the laws that they passed, the technology that's already here in the company in Michigan that's buying stuff and opening their doors with the, the chip that's planted right between the thumb and the forefinger. It's interesting. Go on, you can go on a video and just look that up. They, they way they access their doors, you just, they take their little chip, they put it up to the door lock, it opens. They go to the vending machine, put it in the vending machine, and it trips down and gets your, your stuff. The, so the technology we know is here, and um, we're headed in that place where it's right around the corner. Nobody's afraid, right? Nobody should be afraid. Remember, um, we, yeah, it, Terry and I always comment, you know, like we're hanging over the, the mountains, and Pastor Mike, and we were on the mission trip to, to Himalayas, right? And we're looking down 7,000 feet. You know, the tire's about this far from the 7,000-foot drop, and they lose several vehicles over every year in Himalayas. And we just say, Terry says, it just hurts for a minute. <laughs> it, but it may not, you know. So the thin veil. So one of the things we, they're, they're, remember, perfect love expels fear. That's why I wanted to start with the throne room example of what, of what we're going into because he loves us. You're, you're absolutely loved. And so John tells us in 1 John, perfect love expels fear. So anytime you get anxious, you need to ask the Holy Spirit, what is that? James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, what is that? Is that to motivate you to do something? You know, there's good fear, right? You know, let, don't play in traffic and watch when you have a loaded gun. And those are good things, right? Don't, don't exceed your speed, right? right? But then there's stuff that is anxious because we don't have the right identity. We don't know who we are in Him. And we don't know how big His love is. And once we get over that, the anxiety, if you get it, we all get somewhat anxious about things, right? Analyze, why, you, why am I feeling that way right now? Is it fear-based, based on an identity issue, or is it because you're motivating me to take some action? Right? Um, so, not knowing if the pre-trib or post-trib before, I, I have, and I would recommend this. I remember... Um, uh, who's the pastor out of uh, Morningstar? Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner told his guys, make sure you have a stockpile of food. Uh, make sure you have medications available. Um, now, you can be one that's, I'm totally in God camp of trust. No matter what happens, I'm going. I'm good with that. But ask the Lord, if you, if you know that things could get worse, and when Homeland Security comes off and says, you know, our electric grid could go down for six months because of a terrorist act or... You know, does a prudent man, Proverbs says, takes 
looks and takes action. So, so, yeah, I've seen that. They, they actually have the preparation. You should have a medical kit and all these. Again, I'm not trying to bring fear, but we know what's coming. We know we get out of here, but we don't know exactly when, and we don't know what precedes it. So uh, as a church, for example, um, we are prepared to feed 250 people for, for two weeks. We have a storage set for that so that if something were to go down, and that could be just a minimum thing like a Florence or something like that. And so you pray about that, but make sure you analyze whether that's fear-based because the anxiety is rooted in, I'm so afraid that something bad is going to happen to me and no one will take care of me. Or, I know God's got me and everything's going to be fine. I don't fear death. We're not supposed to fear death, right? Revelation 12 tells us they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they were not even afraid to face death. So, I don't want anybody anxious. We share this kind of stuff and you start looking like, oh my God. Now, that ought to motivate us to pray for our our unsaved loved ones. Right? So let's stand and we'll, we'll be dismissed here. So, Lord, I thank you that there's, um, there's both mystery and revelation. And you told us that we could have these things given to us and even for our descendants. And it says the wise will understand these things and they will take prudent steps. So, Lord, I just pray for great wisdom and revelation to come. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, it comes from the Holy Spirit to us. Just like when Daniel started to intercede for his nation while he was in exile. And the the dream came and Gabriel came and told him specifically what is coming. And it unfolded to the letter we're going to cover this in the next couple of Sundays. It is, it'll blow your mind how detailed that dream, vision, revelation was to the specifics hundreds of years in advance. And if that's true, what we're reading right now is also true. And so, Lord, we thank you that we would be in that category of the ones that are ready. Our garments, we will be in that place where we pursue righteousness because righteousness is both offense and defensive weapon. We become the righteousness of Christ, and we want that. And so, Lord, I thank you. I bless your people, Lord. I bind any fear, any concerns, and we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you all.